Amen. All right. Uh, you, you can be seated. Uh, there are several uh, ways that you can give that you see on the screen. And uh, so, uh, there you go. There are also baskets, I think, in the back. Uh, you can drop stuff in the baskets on your way out. If you want to do that. So, there you go. Hey, a lot of things going on. Uh, one thing in particular I want to mention is that the annual Christmas tea is coming up next Saturday. Uh, that's December the 12th. It's at 9.30. And there are still some tickets available that you can get on the Riverstone website. Uh, but also, I want to let you know that we're going to make the Christmas tea available to you on our Facebook Live stream. And uh, you can log in. Um, it says 1045, is that right? Okay, for the program, so you wouldn't actually have to watch everybody drink their tea necessarily. Uh, but at 1045, if you log in, you'll, you'll get to see the program, and uh, there'll be some singing. Uh, my wife will be speaking, and her cousin, Mandy, will be here to sing, and that, so that'll be, that'll be fun. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, for those of you who uh, want to watch from home, if you're watching from home this morning, you can do that on Saturday. So there you go. Uh, another exciting thing that's coming up, December the 20th, uh, we'll be doing a, a thing on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, both services that day, called Stories. Uh, you can get a card or a handful of cards on your way out today. I think we've got those ready back there. Are they out, out at, the, at the guest center? Uh, you can get a handful of these cards that you can hand out, hand out to friends on your way out today. And on December the 20th, stories in the morning and the evening will be uh, stories about the things that God did at the Night of Hope uh, when we had the big service outside. Uh, let me give you an idea. Here's a, here's a quick, y'all got that clip ready? church and then my second time here was night of hope i had no expectations i would just went i had a few friends with me i was with people i love when they asked people to come up to the stage and you know they're doing baptisms i was like well that kind of like struck something in me but i did not plan on being baptized at all i didn't know when it was going to happen or how especially without my family there or anybody else there So that's just a quick 20-second <laughs> glimpse into uh, what will be a whole, whole morning and evening uh, of testimonies and stories. Where's Anessa? Anessa's right there. Stand up and wave to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so there, there are just so many stories. We heard so many testimonies of people from people. Uh, from the Night of Hope, and a lot of people who, who met the Lord there that night were baptized that night. Uh, some people were healed that night, so it was just a crazy good night. So we want you to invite your friends. Here, here's what we're expecting. Uh, we're expecting not just that we'll tell stories about something that God did, but that we will tell stories about something that God did and then watch God do something else. And uh, so uh, bring friends. Uh, take cards today. You can ha hand them out 
uh, to friends, to family members, people that you know who are not in church, uh, people who are searching, looking for answers, uh, because uh, Jesus is the answer. And it'll be a, a great day uh, for people to, to find the answer that they're looking for. So you'll hear Anessa's story, more of that story, uh, and a few others as well. So be sure and come for that. All right, so last week, if you were here, uh, uh, Kurt Miller preached, did a great, great job. He, he talked about the cost of discipleship. And if you'll remember, he talked about things like uh, how we tend to desire things like safety and stability and comfort. And, and that those are not necessarily bad things, but that uh, as we choose discipleship and we embrace the cost of discipleship, it won't always mean that we're safe or that we're stable or that we're comfortable. Uh, there's a cost involved uh, that oftentimes will, will bring suffering even uh, into our lives. And so uh, I want to tag on to uh, Kurt's message on the cost of discipleship. And today I want to talk a little bit about the call of discipleship, uh, the call of discipleship. My, uh, my belief is that every one of us has two, at least two callings. Uh, there's a specific call on your life, and then there's a general call on all of our, our lives. Now, the, your specific call would be something, it, it could be your vocation. Uh, I was called at about the age of 19 or 20, I was called to preach, and so for the last 42 years, uh, I've been preaching. Every job that I've been in for the last 42 years has involved in some way preaching or teaching because that was a thing, a specific thing that God called me to. Not, not all of you are called to preach necessarily. Uh, some of you are called to something, uh, maybe being a doctor. Some of you have a, that calling on your life in the medical profession, a doctor or a nurse. Some of you are called to be lawyers. Some of you teachers. You know, there are various things that God puts in your heart uh, and calls you into that would be your vocation. Uh, and, and as a believer, we believe that every vocation can be a calling, right? And it has to do with the way that you embrace and the way that you walk out uh, that vocation, that calling. Uh, there may be other things that would be specific callings to you it would be something that you're passionate about. If you have a real passion uh, to, um, say, eliminate uh, human trafficking, uh, that would be a passion, and that could be a specific calling for you. Or it could be that uh, abortion is something that you just are passionate about, and you, you want to do everything you can to, to see abortion eliminated. That would be a passion and could be a specific calling. And so there, there are various ways, all sorts of ways, that God can call you uh, to specific things. And, and when it comes to a specific thing, your calling could change. You could have seasons where you're called to this, or you're, and then later you're called to something else, and it could go on like that. Uh, but then there's a general call on the life of every believer. Uh, every believer is called to make disciples. We're all called to make disciples. It's not a, uh, something that's left to the professionals. <laughs> We're all called uh, as, as believers in, at some level, in some way, uh, to make disciples. Uh, and that the way that we make disciples can include your vocational call, but it's not limited to that. 
the key to discipleship is relationship. You read through the, the New Testament in the Gospels and in Paul's letters, uh, you see over and over and over again that uh, disciples are made in relationship. Uh, in the New Testament, the word uh, that we translate as disciple is a Greek word, methetes, which means student or learner. And the uh, ancient rabbis had disciples. Jesus didn't invent that. Uh, ancient rabbis had disciples, and they would invite disciples to come and follow them, and they would become a part of their life. They basically would invite disciples into their life, and they would teach them how to live. They would teach them how to understand the Scripture, and then they would teach them how to teach others. So basically, the call of the rabbi was to give everything that they had to their disciples with the expectation that their disciples would then take everything they had received and give it to someone else. And that's the way it played out. That's the way it worked. So discipleship, really, in its simplest form, is inviting someone else into your life and giving them what you have. Um, before ascending, Jesus gathered his disciples together, and he said to them, go and make disciples. Uh, he didn't say go make converts. He didn't, go, he didn't say go and make uh, believers even. He said go and make disciples. Now, Paul discipled numerous believers, and, and their names are mentioned all through his letters. You could probably add up as many as, as 30 that are named in his letters. Uh, one of those that, that he uh, is most famous for shaping and, and discipling is Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, uh, Paul says this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And, and that really is discipleship in a nutshell. Take what you've received, give it to someone else, who can give it to someone else, who can give it to someone else. So the New Testament uh, church did all of their discipleship in the context of relationships. Uh, you can make disciples in a group setting. You, you can. Uh, you can make disciples. We, we can make disciples right here this morning. Uh, I can teach you things uh, from the platform, and, and you can hear those things and put those things into practice, and we can make disciples in a large group setting like this. It, it can happen. But it seems to work better. In fact, it seems to work best uh, in a one-on-one -on -one or a one-on-two or maybe a one-on-three situation. In the life of Jesus, he had 12. The idea that some of us think that we could disciple 50 when Jesus discipled 12 may be a little arrogant. Um, but <laughs> Jesus took 12, and then even to some degree, he took three. Right? If you read through the Scriptures, you'll see in the Gospels that there are oftentimes he pulls three out of the 12 and takes them into a place and, and gives specific things uh, to them. So uh, you can do it in a, in a classroom setting even. You can do it in a con this kind of context, a group setting. But I think it, discipleship is best done life on life, one-on-one uh, -on -one or one-on-two. And uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, what does that look like? 
Uh, if everybody is called to make disciples, how do you do that? You know, what, what does it even mean? How, how does it work? What am I supposed to teach people? If, you know, if I'm, I'm supposed to disciple people, what do, I, what do we talk about? And so I'm going to break it down into three things. What to believe, how to live, and then what to do with what you've believed and how you're living. Okay, so what to believe, how what you believe should impact how you live, and then what to do with that. Okay, y'all got that? Is that clear? Okay, here we go. So what to believe uh, begins by uh, teaching people uh, how they should believe. You can't live well if you don't believe well. If your beliefs are bad, your life is probably going to be bad. That's just the way it is. And so in order for us to have a life that is fruitful and producing for the kingdom, we have to have beliefs that line up with what the kingdom teaches, right? Uh, One of the principles that we find in Scripture is that bad trees produce what? Bad fruit. And good trees produce good fruit. And so we have to line up with Scripture, what Scripture teaches in our lives in order to have a good tree so that we can produce good fruit. And so the starting point, the starting point in discipleship, if I'm going to sit down with someone and I'm going to disciple them, the place that I'm going to start is what they believe about God. That is the most important thing. The most important thing, most important belief for us is what we believe about God. Because I promise you, if you mess that up, you're going to mess everything up. If you mess up how you believe about God, what you believe about God, it's going to trickle down into every part of your life. And so we need to understand who God is. We want to understand the character of God. We want to understand who he is and how he reacts and relates with his people. So we want to understand the nature and character of God. And guess where we get that? From him. From him. We want to understand God based on what he says about himself. Okay, and so the best place to find that is right here. We want to get into the Word. We want to teach people. If you're going to disciple people, we want to teach them from the Bible what God says about himself so that they understand this this is the nature and character of God. Some of you heard me tell a story before uh, of a time when Melissa and I were on a mission trip in Ecuador. And we were in a meeting in in a tent where they did about two or three hours of worship. We didn't understand any of it because it was in a language that we didn't speak. And unfortunately, we had a translator who also didn't speak that language. And so we, we listened to three hours of worship, and, uh, and then the preacher gets up to preach. And when he gets up to preach, we notice that in this tent, and, and it's, the tent was larger than this room, and there were probably 500 people in this tent at least. And the, the men, there were men uh, dressed in uniforms, uh, looked like army fatigues, not camo, but just green, solid green. They had black boots, and we're inside a tent now. They had on sunglasses. It was scary. And they each had a stick in their hand. 
and they made their way out to the perimeter of this tent. And as the preacher preached, they walked through the crowd. And if anybody fell asleep, they hit them with a stick. I promise they did. Now, uh, my wife, she, she hates this about me, but I am a bit of an agitator. And so I wanted to pretend to go to sleep just to see if they only hit the members or if they also hit the visitors. But she, she didn't want me to do that. But one thing I did see is there was a, a man who was holding, and we're all sitting on the ground, and he was holding his, his child, toddler, not a baby, but a toddler, maybe two years old, in his lap. And the, the little two-year-old went to sleep on his shoulder. And the soldier, I say soldier, actually it was, they were elders. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. The, the elder came to the man holding his child and poked the child with a stick to wake him up. He did, I promise. Now, I expected, okay, we're going we're gonna to get to see something here. This dad's going to throw down. You know what the dad did? He leaned back so the soldier could get a good poke. Can you imagine? Just think for a minute if you grew up in that culture. How would that affect your image of God? And if your image of God is a man with a stick waiting for me to do something wrong, how would that impact your life? And unfortunately, there are a lot of people, not just in South America, but in North America, not just in North America, but in Georgia, not just in Georgia, but in Kennesaw, who live their lives believing in a God who looks a lot like a man with a stick, waiting for them to do something wrong. And so that's why discipleship needs to begin with an understanding of the nature and character of God. What is his posture toward us? Understanding that he is a good God, that he is a good father, that he is a loving father who loves his children, and who wants the best for his children. Now, from that point, after we have a, a good understanding of the nature and character of God, then we want to know who we are. Uh, you want to understand, we want to understand our own identity, and our identity comes from not what we think about ourselves, but what God says about us, okay? And so when it comes to what to believe, we want to start with what we believe about God. We want to go from there to what we believe about ourselves. And then once we have a, an idea of what God is like and who he has called us to be, then we can begin to look at the things that Jesus taught uh, his disciples to do, things like praying, the importance of praying and making prayer an integral part of your life and your relationship with God. Another thing that Jesus taught, uh, he taught that we were to repent and believe. Uh, and sometimes we kind of miss that repent part. We think that God is, because maybe we are not as clear as we should be in the nature and character of God, we think that God just always 
pats us on the back and says, you're great, you did a great job, don't worry, just keep doing what you're doing. And he doesn't always do that. He actually calls us to stop doing some things. In fact, there were people in Scripture that were brought to Jesus, and uh, the people said, Jesus, look at this person. This is what they've done, and we should probably kill them. And Jesus said, don't kill them. But then he would turn to the people and say, okay, you know that thing you did that made those people want to kill you? Don't do it anymore. Which seems like a great idea to me. If you're doing something that makes people want to kill you, then maybe you shouldn't do it anymore. In certain contexts. So there is an aspect Uh, of repentance that is necessary in order to believe and walk in the kingdom. And so Jesus teaches to repent and believe. Jesus teaches us to pray. Jesus teaches the importance of forgiveness. Jesus teaches the importance of healing, believing uh, in healing and praying for the sick. Jesus teaches about, about giving and how it's better to give than to receive. So all of these are things that Jesus taught his disciples. And all of these are things that we can teach people as we disciple them, but first and foremost, people need to understand the nature and character of God, and we need to understand that our identity is rooted in what God says about us, not what we think about ourselves. Now, the second part of discipleship then is uh, how what you believe should change how you live. And this gets back to the whole good tree produces good fruit. If you are a good tree, it should produce good fruit. If you have been discipled by someone and they have taught to you about the nature and character of God and they have helped you to understand that your identity is established in Christ and you have begun to cultivate and develop a a prayer life and an intimacy with God and yet everything in your life Every relationship in your life is falling apart. Every relationship in your life is destructive. Everything you touch just turns to rubble, and and nothing in your life is going well. Then I would suggest take a step back to the nature and character of God. Take a step back to your personal identity. Somewhere there may be a disconnect because the thing that you and I need to understand about discipleship is that God doesn't call us to be disciples for ourselves, right? God doesn't want you to be a disciple just so you can be a disciple. God calls you to be a disciple so that, number one, you can make disciples, and number two, so that the relationships in your life will thrive. So one of the results of you you understanding the nature and character of God, understanding that your identity is rooted in Christ, and cultivating behaviors that build that identity, one of the results would be, for all you men, you'll be a better man. You'll be a better husband if you're married. You'll be a better father. You'll be a better employer. You'll be a better employee. Okay? For women, same thing. 
you won't be better husbands. You'll be better wives. You'll be better moms. You'll be better friends. You'll be better workers. You'll be better employers and better employees. When our identity is rooted in who he is and we properly understand God and his posture toward us, his nature and character, it will affect and impact every area of our lives. And so uh, we will find that the relationships in our life will produce good fruit because we have been made into a good tree. Uh, Jesus boiled it down to this. He said that the two most important things, the two most important commandments, number one, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he's saying is when you properly understand your relationship with God, it will allow and empower you, enable you actually to love others. And so being a lover of God will make you a lover of people. And then that, what that leads to then is what do I do with what I know? What do I do with what I know? Now I understand. I understand the nature and character of God. I know that my identity is rooted in Christ and what he says about me. I've cultivated a life of prayer. I'm, I'm studying the word. I'm learning what Jesus taught his disciples, and I'm applying those things. I'm reading what Paul wrote in his letters, and I'm applying those things in my life. God is producing good fruit in my life. My relationships are going well. What do I do with all that? And what you do with it is you give it away. Because we're not called just to make disciples. We're called to make disciples that make disciples, that make disciples. And that's why 2 Timothy says to pass it on, to take what you've learned, give it to others who can give it to others. If we make converts, if we make converts, they're happy that they know the truth. Ain't no doubt. If you, you make converts, they will be happy to know the truth. But if you make disciples, they will want everyone to know the truth and to realize that it's not enough to know. We're also called to make known. So let, let, me, let me give you an illustration of why this is important. I said earlier, we, we could make disciples like this. I could stand here and I could tell you, I could tell you about the nature and character of God. I can tell you about your identity and then I can give you some things to do, okay? I don't know how many people are here. Let's, for math purposes, I'm gonna say 100. It's, it's more than that, but I don't wanna be too mathematically challenged this morning. So let's say 100 people are here and I tell you those things and you choose to believe, okay? That's, that's fantastic. Let's say that in the course of one year of preaching, 100 people believe. And then the second year, 100 more believe. And the third year, a hundred more believe. All right? If that pattern is repeated, a hundred people believe every year for 10 years, how many believers will we have? College grads, come on. 
1,000. Very good. 100 a year for 10 years is 1,000, all right? But what if we did it this way? What if I preach, and in that first year, 100 people believe? And then I say to you, okay, now, go make disciples. I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm, I'm done. I did my year. Okay? And in the second year, each of, each of the 100 makes one disciple. How many do we have now? 200. You're doing great. All right, then the third year, everybody of the 200 makes a disciple. How many we got now? 400. And then the next year? And the next? 1,600. The next? The next? And the next? 12,800. And the next? 25,600. And the next? 51,200. Multiplication is a little bit better than addition, wouldn't you say? And that's why it's important. That's why discipleship, that's why Jesus said, all of you go and make disciples, not just one or two. He calls us all to be disciples. He calls us all to make disciples. And he says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. His desire is that disciples would fill the earth. And uh, that's his call on us. And then uh, in coming weeks, probably next week, I'll give you some ideas of how we can do that. Okay? Now, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we confess to you that, that for, for many, uh, we have settled for just uh, being converts, and, and we haven't at times in our lives seriously taken your call uh, to make disciples. Uh, and, and we haven't always taken the responsibility to take the initiative uh, to not just know, but to make known the good news of the kingdom. And so I pray uh, that for the people of Riverstone, that you would shift us uh, into a different place and that we would not just be disciples, but we would be disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And that you would use uh, this body of believers to multiply what you're doing in the earth, in this region and beyond. <clears throat> in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to invite um, our uh, ministry teams to come and get into place. Uh, we're going to have some prayer time this morning. Uh, whatever you need prayer for, if you, it, could have, it could relate to what we've talked about today or maybe not. It doesn't have to, but we'll pray for you. Uh, for anything, if, you have, uh, if you're in need of physical healing or relational healing, emotional healing, uh, anything like that, especially... If you would say today that you're in need of spiritual healing, we would love, would love to pray for you. Now, I believe the way that we're doing this is if you want to be prayed for someone who is wearing a mask and, and kind of doing the distance thing, you're on this side. <clears throat> and if you don't care about 
uh, masks, uh, and you actually wouldn't even mind if they touched you on the shoulder lightly, uh, you can come to this side, okay? Good enough. All right, why don't you stand, and we're going to go into a time of worship, and we invite you, if you need prayer, uh, to, to please take advantage of that. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you, uh, just move in this place. Have your way here. Have your way. Uh, we know that there are things that you want to do in us because there are things that you want to do through us. And so we invite you to come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.